Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. We're your hosts. I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Master Ryuho Okawa. Ryuho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. All right, so we have another chapter of The Laws of Messiah, which is chapter four, The Heart of the Earth, Shambhala, that promotes spiritual awakening of humanity. And just to go through the three sections here, we have section one, Shambhala, the secrets of the earth. Section two, initiation to become a messiah. And section three, gaining back the heart of Shambhala. So if you read this book chronologically, you might think that this chapter is kind of a curveball, throws you off from what you were expecting. And that's intentional. Because I feel like this chapter is here to remind us the importance of spirituality and the heavenly world and also the uh, secrets that only a Messiah knows. So it's very profound and filled with these secrets. But how did you take it, John? How did you find this chapter? Yeah, it definitely threw me for a little bit. I wouldn't have expected it because so much of this book is very political, but so is this though. And I think that integrating the spiritual and the political is not only relevant, but incredibly important. So, I mean, you know, like I'm sure like many people listening was familiar with Shambhala prior to reading this, although I've never really seen it explained in a satisfactory way. But one point I thought was interesting is that it discusses that at present, there is a war being waged on Shambhala, which is this like a core spiritual training ground uh, for messiahs and very high elevated spiritual people and, and spiritual beings in general. So... And what I thought was in Tibetan Buddhism, there's a text called the Kala Chakra Tantra, and it discusses a war involved with Shambhala, sort of at the, at the time where humanity has become mostly atheistic and lost its sense of values and whatnot. And so I thought that that was interesting that in Tibet, they were preserving that type of knowledge. And one of the first things that China did when it became a communist nation was conquer Tibet as a territory and basically make it an atheist area. Mm. And then when we consider that, as it's revealed in this book, that the location of Shambhala is in the Himalayas, in that general region, you know, so it's interesting how that this war has been going on for quite a while now. And by creating a pervasive sense of atheism in that region, it's they're attempting to basically remove the possibility for messianic beings and high level spiritual beings to have a presence here. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, we might think like, why would a country fight against a spiritual field? But actually, it's the devils working through the leaders of the country to try and shut down this uh, spiritual flow. And what is Shambhala? But it's basically this spiritual magnetic field that comes from near Mount Everest in the uh, Himalayan mountain region. And it was kind of established around the time that Shakyamuni Buddha passed away. This spiritual field has always existed, but it moves according to the age. And for the last 2,500 years or so, it's been located near the uh, Mount Everest, which is very holy and sacred in many religions, such as Hinduism or Buddhism. And I do remember, I have a similar story where I was speaking to a, an Indian man who's Hindu, and he told me he was gravely offended by China's incursion into the uh, Himalayan region. They are currently at war with India and the borderlands. And they have gotten into some bloody conflicts and there's been many casualties. But there's this mountain very near there, which is the home of God Shiva in Hinduism. That's uh, Mount Kailash 
And that mountain is very near to the Shambhala region. So this is known as the land of the gods. And there's many groups that have talked about it, including like Blavatsky in her occult push, which really transformed the late 1800s and early 1900s. But this idea of Shambhala is very important. And there is a war by the devils to try and go in there and shut off the spiritual flow. And as disciples, we uh, cannot stand for that. So we are fighting back. So is there anything else that really stood out to you in this idea of Shambhala? Uh, well, you just mentioned Blavatsky, and I, I always appreciated that she sort of introduced this idea to the West of like ascended masters, so to speak. And that's taken on so many different forms now. But so in this chapter, it discusses a lot of figures who studied and trained in Shambhala, including Jesus, uh, which, of course, the Gospels don't mention where he was for quite a long time. And, you know, so there, he was undergoing training there. And being uh, people like uh, Hermes and Fialis and you know, ancient leaders. But I thought it was, uh, I was a bit surprised by the fact that there's a connection of even certain scientists, such as Newton and Einstein, to Shambhala. And you know, Newton um, having a connection with Freemasonry and sort of tying into this idea of the hidden masters behind the occult fraternities and all that. I, I mm. thought it was so interesting, you know, to see where the true spiritual knowledge is coming from and how it's being passed into the world and how it's also being corrupted right now. Yeah, that's immensely fascinating, especially because there's this these four words I think stand out in this chapter. There's guru and there's master and messiah and adept. These four words are kind of like rankings or levels within the spiritual sphere. And essentially these beings are invited to train in this spiritual training ground called Shambhala. And through their spiritual training, they develop these secret insights. And those secret insights have a profound effect on changing the world. So there's so many people who we see had a great influence in history, who did have a sense of spirituality, who underwent training, either when they were living or after they passed away, and refined their souls within this uh, secret concept called Shambhala. And I know that uh, John Lennon, he went to India for some time. And many of the Beatles fans were starting to think something was going wrong with him. And all of a sudden, he, you know, he started talking about the very Eastern concepts. And he married a, a Japanese woman. And his activism became very prevalent. He started fighting for peace on Earth. And many of the old Beatles fans were very offended by that. But what he did was he leveled up spiritually and he was able to go on to the next phase of his mission, which was to teach this idea of peace on earth. That was connected to the uh, training that he received in Shambhala. It's really remarkable. And maybe that had something to do with why uh, the Beatles as a band you know, didn't keep going on because he had something more to do there. And, and unfortunately, that was... Uh cut short. And it's interesting to note, actually, that John Lennon was killed at the Dakota house where he lived, which was also the site in the movie Rosemary's Baby, where the devil's supposed to be born. Huh. So it's pretty interesting how you can see that there was an evil agenda to prevent him from rising as a spiritual leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen another documentary where, you know, even the US FBI was trying to kick him out of the country because he was trying to change people's conformity and make them free. So it's not necessarily mentioned in here, but even Steve Jobs spent some time doing meditation in India and came up with many ideas which revolutionized the computer world. And so many people have these kind of phases where they do go to the Eastern lands 
do meditation, receive some spiritual insight, and come out and change the world. It's very prevalent and more than you'd expect. But we have to understand that there are secrets that human beings don't necessarily learn in the religions on earth that they can only obtain through these very esoteric methods. And this kind of is by nature because Elkantare, who is the master of Shambhala, he is uh, nurturing them to become the Messiah or to become the greatest leaders so that they do have a profound impact. And of course, the, the evil temptations do arise at the same time to try and bring those people down because they are trying to enlighten the human beings who live on this planet. So one of the main ideas of Shambhala is to overcome these desires, such as for food, sex, and sleep, and become more selfless, become more enlightened, and start to do something which is in line with their mission of why they were born into this world. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned like a lot of people who travel to that general region, go on, there's usually some noticeable change in their state of consciousness. And so I think that those ascetic qualities that are usually undergone through pretty strict spiritual training are even taking place around Shambhala because it's not like anybody could just go there. I mean, you know, it's, it explains in this chapter, you have to be invited there. But even in the earlier, you mentioned, you described it as like a sort of magnetic Place. So I think that magnetism does spread out into the surrounding region, which the positive side of that is that it sort of casts a spiritual presence in a very pure way. Yeah, yeah. Even in the uh, religion of Taoism, there's uh, Lao Tzu is the founder of that religion. He, it said that before he died, he went across the Hangu Pass into Western China and disappeared into the desert, never to be seen again. It says on page 154, Actually, he went to Shambhala after that. It seems his soul still mainly lives in that area. And there's this idea that there's another uh, translation of Shambhala as Shangri-La in the Chinese world. And this is very connected to the mystery of Taoism. Beyond like the basic teachings of harmony and relaxation, there's a very deep, deep esoteric belief that exists at the heart of that religion. And actually, in this chapter, it says that very profoundly, it says the secrets of Shambhala have always affected various religions of the world under the surface. Living in this world is like a floating weed, but the secrets of Shambhala played an important role for the floating weed-like religions to grow their root and take root in the soil at the bottom of the water. So what we see is these religions are digging deep into these secrets that exist underneath the surface of the earth. And that is what's causing them to sprout and grow into uh, something more profound later on. <laughs> that just sprouted all kinds of thoughts in my mind. It's amazing. <laughs> Even like the, if we think of the stars as higher dimensional spiritual entities mm -hmm. and how the supernova explode and then the, the pieces of them form the planets and how there is literal <laughs> wisdom, uh, even perhaps in a physical sense in the earth. It's really remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so going back to like what this enlightenment is, it says on page 146, what matters is how deeply you are aware that you are spiritual energy. When you live in a physical body in this world, you need to seek the mental attitude, the spiritual training, and the heart of enlightenment that you had been seeking in heaven. In the process of making efforts to attain such a mind in this world, your soul is being polished. Just to go back to John Lennon, there was a phase that he stopped seeking popularity, he stopped seeking fame and money, and he started seeking the inside world of the mind, 
and this deep harmony that that brought about. So this kind of uh, way of thinking is very similar to what Buddhism taught. And actually in Blavatsky's last book, which she ever published before she passed away, she said everything goes back to the basic fundamentals of Buddhism, especially the six paramitas and the Eightfold Path. So what we see is at the very core of Shambhala is Shakyamuni Buddha, is Elkantare. And that kind of spiritual training is what is important in this lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. And it's like, I feel like those core teachings, they've been around such a long time and they could seem simple, even though anybody who's tried to actually practice them knows how difficult they are. Mm. But that's really it. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is a very esoteric and profound chapter, which is, again, chapter four of the Laws of Messiah, which is the most important book of this year, 2022. It is a book that brings you from love to love. It's a book where the God of the earth, Lord God, speaks directly to you. And this book is sold in bookstores such as Barnes & Noble or online in places such as Amazon. You can also learn more on okawabooks.com. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, though. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive.